Welcome to another edition of First Word from First Church. This is Pastor Dave Buchanan at the First Church in Sutton. Please enjoy the message and may God bless you richly through it. Our reading today comes from the book of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now, there was a man um, of the Pharisees called Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive your, um, our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No man has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have ever eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God, please bless our understanding of his word. Sometimes we, and you know I like to tell these tales anyway, we look at the setting in which something was, was said by Jesus or, or learned by his disciples and, and how it might have been recorded. And we have the picture of Jesus preaching to 5,000 families, or the Sermon on the Mount, or taking a child on his knee with his disciples around him, or while he walks on the way when people cry out for healing. And a lot of favorite pictures of Jesus are with those who we would today call marginalized. One of the accusations against him was, he eats with sinners. Well, of course, he came to be a physician to sinners, not a, a, some kind of curator for the saints or those who thought they were. So we have all these pictures of Jesus mingling with the crowd. 
usually at odds with anybody of any kind of wealth or education, except maybe Zacchaeus, the little tax collector, if you remember that story. Well, now, now we've got somebody very different. Now we have a man of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, let's give them some credit. I mean, they get a bad rap because they get wrapped in with the Sadducees in a lot of phrases. But they were trying. The Pharisees were a brotherhood. To join his brotherhood, which never numbered more than about 6,000 in all of Israel, to attempt to uphold every facet of the law of Moses, which was believed, if interpreted completely, to govern every facet of life. The scribes then tried to come up with the details of what the law of Moses meant. And it's where we got the the silly things that uh, I learned some new ones studying this. You couldn't tie but a certain kind of knot in your sandal. You couldn't tie a knot in a rope to lower, lower a bucket in the well to get water for your animals or your family on the Sabbath. Except that a woman could tie her girdle, a belt, a sash, and certain other parts of her garment. She could tie knots to hold herself together on the Sabbath, and that was appropriate. A man couldn't. So if a man needed to lower a bucket in a well, he got a woman's girdle because he could tie a knot in that legally on the Sabbath. And it's getting to fly specks out of the pepper, isn't it? It's getting to as much evasion, and then the scribes would write another rule to avoid the evasion, and it became a legalistic thing. Unfortunately, the Pharisees get a bad rap, but they were trying. Their goal was to follow the word of God and set a role for that. And in Nicodemus' case, to become a teacher, an archon means, means a ruler. So he was one of 71 or 72, I don't know the exact number, who formed the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. They were the court. They were the, the Congress and the court of Israel with a few small problems. Some of the authorities that they had said before they started enjoying the peace of Rome were taken away by the Roman Empire. It's why Pontius Pilate will have to condemn Jesus to death. The empire had taken that authority away from the Sanhedrin, from the two parties that made it up, the Pharisees and Sadducees. Sadducees were collaborators with Rome. You studied World War II history, they were the Vichy French government. They collaborated to you know, go along to get along. Well, they went along to get ahead. The Pharisees, give them an A for effort. Maybe a B minus for execution because it got about the rules, not about the love, mercy, and grace of God. Nicodemus obviously isn't satisfied with that. He comes to Jesus by night. Well, the first thought we get in our suspicious little human minds is, yeah, he didn't want to be seen going to visit Jesus. He didn't want any, any label being with Jesus. Well, maybe so. But it was also said of God's law or discussing it or learning of it that the best time to do that was at night when it was quiet and there were fewer distractions. And if you want a private, deep conversation with Jesus and be able to converse back and forth, daytime was not opportune at this point. You'd be in a crowd 
I mean, like in a crowd of reporters trying to shout a question to the, to the VIP. And he wanted a, a deeper conversation. He was deeply troubled, obviously. So he comes to Jesus at night, maybe for peace and quiet, maybe away from the crowds, and maybe a little hiding. Oh, Rabbi, we know that you come from God. Wonder who we was. But anyway, we know you're a teacher from God. No one could do these things unless God is with him. Now, Jesus must have had, I don't want to say perverse, but he had a challenging sense of humor, set the bar high. This is a teacher of Israel. He ain't going to let him off easy. And Jesus does this to a lot of people. He'll throw you a, a saying that is really hard to swallow. So he starts right off with, unless you're born again. Poor Nicodemus is already in anguish, and Jesus throws this one at him. What you talking about, Rabbi? And he, I mean, he goes right to a pretty colorful image, doesn't he? Can I crawl back into mama and try again? Nicodemus, Nicodemus. Don't be so literal, brother. Jesus, instead of saying, no, that's not what I meant, says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, Nicodemus, you are clearly born of flesh and blood, and hopefully some kind of will of your parents, but that's all human, that's all mortal, that's all of this world, unless you are born of water and the spirit. Well, that's not much clearer for poor Nicodemus. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said be born again. Then he uses a play on words. In Hebrew and in Greek, the word for wind is also the word for spirit. Ruach in Hebrew, I love that word, I don't know why. Because the spirit of God is the Ruach Elohim, it's also the breath of God. The Pneuma Hagia doesn't sound nearly as cool in Greek, but if you think of a pneumatic tire, pneuma is the wind. It's also the spirit. And Jesus parallels it. The wind blows where it wishes. And you don't know why. You can hear it. You can see it. You can fly a kite on it. You see it wave the trees. But do you really know where it comes from? Yeah, our meteorologists think they could model it. Sometimes they get it right. But especially to Nicodemus, the wind blows and there were different winds. There was the wind out of the desert, the wind out of the hills, the wind off the ocean. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. When we try to teach the Holy Trinity in confirmation class or in a sermon, you're trying to teach the Trinity of God. Whence comes the Holy Spirit? Does anyone understand how it blows? I won't claim to. Do I know its effect? on me, on the church, on sisters and brothers, when, when God chooses to stir that up. I've seen it. I hope you have too. Understand whence it blows? Yeah, I'm not so sure of that. From God is all I can say. I don't know how. Be born of the Spirit. And Jesus, I hope, chided him gently. Yeah, I think he did. I'll tell you why in a minute. Are you a teacher of Israel? Sifex is the teacher of Israel. You don't understand? 
We're speaking about things we know. We're bearing witness to things of the world. You don't believe me. How much more when I speak of things of the Spirit, Nicodemus? Why aren't you paying attention? And he talks again, and we've preached about this subject, that the Son of Man must be lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness as a sign to look upon and be healed, to look upon and be saved. We know how Nicodemus came out of this conversation because when Jesus was crucified, it was Nicodemus who bought and brought 100 pounds of aloes and myrrh and other spices with which they used to prepare a body for burial. And that wasn't a cheap purchase at that time, wouldn't be now. But Nicodemus it was who provided those herbs and say they laid him in the tomb of a rich man. We think it was probably Nicodemus' tomb in which Jesus spent the three days. A wonderful memory to come out of what sounds like a tough conversation. I don't know if you've ever had a tutor or a professor that did that to you and trying to teach you something. I was a tutor in my company as a cadet and those who really wanted to learn the subject matter would come to me. Those who wanted the answers wouldn't because I dragged them to the answers. I wouldn't just give them to them. I wasn't as good as Jesus, obviously. But that type of teaching, and apparently Nicodemus could bear it or Jesus wouldn't have put it on him. Then, then we get a grand statement of love. He didn't preach this in the Sermon on the Mount. This wasn't in the teaching to the disciples of the 5,000. Middle of the night to a rich Pharisee, he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He's just got done talking to Nicodemus about being born again of water and the spirit and look at the life into which we're invited to be born. I speak of it at the baptismal font. Whether I'm reaching up to baptize an adult or holding a babe in arms or well, I've even dunked a few people in a lake. And we speak of being born into Christ's eternal life. He invites us and he says it again here. And even more important, when people outside of the faith or who've been wounded by the faith, I don't need to read them. It's full of thou shalt nots. It's full of telling me how wrong I am. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. How broad is that statement? If I said God came into the world to save me and you, God came into the world to save the church, Jesus came into the world to save all the faithful, whom did God love? His whole creation. We may not see the response in some people this side of the grave, we don't know what will happen when they meet God. But God loves those who are here endeavoring to open hearts and minds with, with prayer and word and song. He loves those who, who scoff at the faith. He loves those who've been wounded and can't come back or don't think they can. He loves those who've never heard 
the gospel. He even loves those who've heard it and scoff. Do all respond to that message of salvation? I don't know. I don't know. In this life, we don't all give evidence of it, obviously. But God offers that love, that salvation through Jesus Christ to any who will receive it, to any who will realize that life in the flesh, as Jesus called it and as Paul later emphasized it, life in this world, life according to the secular feelings, tastes, appetites, opinions, has to be laid aside for life in Christ, a higher, more holy, more loving standard. Lent is a season to practice that. But to open our hearts and minds every day to that kind of love that casts out fear, casts out hatred, casts out anger of worldly things and invites us to a new birth. And we say it at the baptismal font with water. I'm not sure how many of the babies are listening that closely when we baptize infants. I hope that when we bring someone to baptism and we all stand and make our promises, that that rings in our heads then. Like it should at confirmation very deliberately, but the rest of the time too. To be born of water and the spirit of God, the very breath of God in our lives. I'm an engineer, so it's got to be in my mind too, but in my heart as well. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. Thank you for having joined us for First Word from First Church. We pray that God has blessed you in some way, in his way, through the message that we have just shared with you. Please join us again. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance over you and give you peace. Amen and amen.